the other semi-final winners are also the Lucerne winners, the Munich winners, and the defending world champions, Anna Watkins, Catherine Granger for Great Britain. And so begins the pursuit for that Olympic gold medal that has so long eluded Kath Granger on the left of the screen. That was her third Olympic silver medal. She's won many world championships. And they are very fast off the blocks, have a canvas lead over New Zealand at this point. But the field's still very tight indeed. And they've actually lengthened the rating down a beat here as they've extended their lead. But it's still not a comfortable lead by any means. It's uh, three quarters of a length only over the Australian. But Granger and Watkins have the perfect view, and they really, even as they were crossing the 1500 meter mark, they looked like they started to put a little more into it. Great Britain hanging on to first place ahead of Australia. Under, Australia under pressure now from the Kiwi crew coming up strongly. As you said, yes, they can always put up uh, an, another two strokes per minute, and they're closing in on the Australians. The Ukrainians. Uh, Ukrainians are out of the medal picture at this point with about 50 strokes to 50 meters to the line. It's uh, gonna be a goal for Great Britain, I'm sure, if no record happens here. Anna Watkins, Kath Granger, a fantastic gold medal for Great Britain ahead of Australia. Welcome to The Road Show. We're your hosts, Lawrence Britton and Jake Green. And in this podcast, we're going to go into everything related to sport and performance. And we're also going to talk a little bit about rowing. In South Africa. It brings people together, it breaks down barriers. My passion Winning. is to be the best. Being the best is something we strive for. There's a crucial role in South Africa. Passion. Great. Passion. Fiction. Gold. Ultimate goal. Glory. Relentless training. Pain. Pain. <laughs> Hello ladies and gents and welcome to another epic episode of The Row Show. As always, it's myself, Lawrence Britton. And it's me, Jake, and uh, we are really excited to be back again. Um, yeah, we've been, we've been quite busy out here with uh, the training for us. We've been, uh, we've been rowing around in fours. It's been a bit tricky. We've had to, you know, spend a bit of time in isolation. And uh, yeah, so, you know, we've been a little bit behind schedule with our, you know, with our editing and whatnot. But we are, we are back again with uh, another episode for you guys. Yeah, I know it's been uh, it's been a really interesting few weeks, and I think well, an interesting whole last year. But you know, just all coming together in these in these last f- uh, last few weeks. So we launched our Patreon, and we'll get into that, and uh, and that's been a huge success, and and really awesome to see you guys coming to to support the show and and allow us to up our game. Uh, yeah, as Jake said, we we've obviously getting back into the boat, getting back into to normal training, but every now and then someone in the team goes down with uh, with COVID and we kind of have to just separate, isolate a bit, make sure no one else is uh, spreading it uh, throughout the whole team. So we recorded this episode whilst we were in isolation, so it was a bit tricky, but it was uh, it's all fine. Um, the, the sound maybe is not up to our usual silky smooth perfection, but I think it is plenty good enough and the content is what we really often, I think this is another really really good episode and yeah we've been rowing in fours uh which has been really nice to to get out the single get back into the crew boats and you know it's always tough uh, racing against jake which is what we what we're currently doing and it's uh it's tricky but uh, jake what about what does the rest of the season look like for for us at the moment yeah like uh, like lauren said we finally got to get back to racing which is really exciting because i'm um, i'm sure most athletes out there the, the the lack of racing has been really frustrating 
and that's especially for us like just getting back in the boats and you know we're going to get some racing get done against each other it's going to be awesome nice and competitive again and then yeah we're gonna we're looking to you know hopefully we'll be able to go you know overseas to you know race radius at a regatta overseas but as you can imagine logistically that's going to be really difficult but the big one for us is going to be you know for the four going to late qualifications and racing then and hopefully securing a spot to the olympics and then the big one, obviously, is going to be Olympics this year. But again, it's you know, it's a it's an interesting road for everyone around the world, and especially for us. We're not quite sure how you know we know where we need to get to, but the path is a little bit less um, defined. So, going to be some interesting twists and turns along the way. Yeah, it's really it's it's really going to be an interesting Olympic Games, I think, this year. You know, without you know just already having uh, not had any racing for for the twenty twenty season, and now coming into this season where. You know, Europe look, is is where most of the racing gets done, and and I think that they will have some regattas and and things will get under underway there. But a lot of the the other countries that are are not based in Europe, you know, uh, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, you know, USA, Canada, just to name a few, I think are really going to be under pressure to travel because you know, just uh, for us at the moment, currently as it stands, if we want to go race uh, in Europe, we have to travel, isolate for two weeks on the other side and then only then start racing and rowing and then to come back and isolate again. I mean, you're losing uh, four weeks of, of training in the boat just to get one race under the belt. So uh, really interesting, really um, different times. And I think uh, as the year progresses, we're going to see how different countries deal with, uh, with the travel components. And again, everyone has to travel to Tokyo to race there. So it's uh, going to be, really interesting and, and and really different to see results that of of crews that we haven't seen race for for so long so i think from a spectator point of view this is going to be a very exciting olympic games of course of course and you know besides that we just wanted to say big shout out to all our patrons out there you guys are the best you are really a massive massive help to us and again lawrence and i can't believe the support we've gotten from everyone so you know thanks so much for for the sport you know we've we've had some great discussions on the on the WhatsApp group about, you know, upcoming interviews and, you know, it's really nice to get a bit of feedback, active feedback. Um, you know, James, Elkhorn, Jess, Oliver, you guys have been awesome there with, our, you know, with the discussions we've been having. And, uh, you know, I think it's just also, it helps Lawrence and I get into right, the right f- frame of mind, especially bouncing off questions and ideas that we have with other people. It, it does help us out. No, hugely. I mean, our Patreon has been amazing. So uh, really glad that we set that up and, and really glad and really amazing to see the results and the, the support you're getting from everyone. If you're not on Patreon, go and head there, guys. It is uh, really awesome. You get your episodes uh, a few weeks in advance. So currently uh, there's been Ilza Paulus has been out already for ages and now we're releasing this one uh, when you're only going to be, be hearing it a few weeks later. So, yeah, just uh, enjoy. Uh, go check it out and, and, and see if you, you want to support the show a little bit more to help us out to, to help improve the content. There's also a whole lot of other benefits. As Jake said, we have a WhatsApp group, which we have great discussion on uh, on upcoming episodes and, and current episodes that are out and, and everyone wants to discuss it. Everyone wants to chat about uh, these athletes that have the most incredible stories. So if you want a little bit more Roche Show, if you want a little bit uh, more... Uh, rowing, um, I don't know, info in your life, then uh, just go in and, and check it out. But today is Kath Granger. Sorry, yes. Dame. Dame. Kath Granger. Yes, Lawrence, come on. 
Yeah, so um, Catherine Granger is the most decorated British female athlete ever. And uh, I can tell you from looking at her results sheets and, and doing some researching, I actually, it's honestly unbelievable how long and how successful her career has been. She's been to 68 regattas over 17 years of professional racing. She ha- I think she's let, that, let that sink in a little yeah. bit there. And you know, 68 r- races is, I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, if you think of... Uh, you know, rugby players, uh, football players, or um, or cricket players, where they like they count the number of uh, caps or you know the number of appearances they have for a specific country. Sixty-eight uh, regattas, which means she's probably racing uh, over two hundred times, uh, putting on that the, the 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 British colours and and racing on the water over two hundred times for for over those seventeen years. It's really really impressive. Yeah. Uh, definitely the biggest. Uh, the most amount of times uh, someone has raced that we've ever interviewed, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And, and one thing that really strikes me with her longevity is the, is the fact that, you know, she started her first international season of 1997. She went to World Champs. And then from then all the way to 2016, when she went to her last Olympics, she had two years of no racing, 2013 and 2014. And, you know, speaking to a lot of athletes out there, that kind of, you know, constant racing and, and not taking too much time off that's real really impressive and the ability to stay at such a high standard for so long i think that's something that a lot of people can learn from and very very few people are able to pull it off i think you have a lot of older athletes that can you know have these long careers and, and super successful results but they unfortunately most of the time are also martyred by injury so there's a lot of uh downtime you know, um, around getting injured or taking some time off where, you know, Catherine was just ruthless in her pers- pursuit of gold and glory. Yeah, and talking about gold and talking about the, the actual results. So over those uh, those uh, years of, of competing, she went to five Olympic Games, five Olympic Games, four silver medals, one Olympic gold medal. So already five Olympic medals, just insane uh, to to just be competing over that number of years, and uh, it's, it's really impressive. And then also during the the the, the gaps, she's a six-time world champion. So I mean, she has just results on results, and in so many different boat classes, she basically rode every boat class out there and performed in every boat class out there. And I think that's my takeaway from uh, her, the chat with her was how incredibly, you know, thoughtful she went into and how she treated each different boat, each different uh, combination and different crew that she rode in in, an, in a different way and, and how to get the most out of that combination, that boat, you know, talking about the speed of the boat, talking about the uh, positions in the boat because she often rode in the bow seat and then would move and then have later moved to the stroke seat. And, you know, uh, each different position in the boat has a unique set of skills and a unique, um, you know, challenges to it. So she really gets into that and, and really, really epic uh, to hear her talk, talk about that. Uh, this is part one. So we only get through half of her results or maybe we don't even, can't even say half of her results because there's so many we couldn't mm. really get Lent. through every single one. But uh, we get through uh, half of, of the of the results and then uh, part two will come out where we get through the next little bit and into the quick fire questions. So... Yeah, I think anything else you want to add there, Jake? No, I think you know that wraps it up. And I, I think for people out there, you know, this this is probably um, I dare to say the the most successful athlete, uh, almost that we've we've had on the show, like right up there with you know the best that we've spoken to, and a huge amount of respect. And 
I learned so much. So, you know, enjoy this one. I enjoyed this a lot. So, tops, guys. Enjoy. For sure, guys. Enjoy the show and let's get on. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Row Show. And we are very lucky today to be speaking to Dame Catherine Granger. Um, Catherine, welcome to the show. It's awesome to have you on. It's a pleasure to be with you both. Thank you for having me. So we, you know, we want to we wanted to get into the, the Sydney games right off the bat. So I'm interested to listen to, you know, your, your take on what it was like in 2000 and what, what was it like winning uh, the first medal for, you know, GB Women's Rowing? Yeah, I mean, I have, I have unbelievably happy and positive and fantastic memories of Sydney. And although it's a long time ago now, um, it, it was it was huge for me in my own personal career um, because it was my first games and it sort of started off what would become my life for about 20 years. But it was also, it really was a moment in time for British rowing. Um, and partly, you know, on the men's side, the men had been very, very successful for a very long time. Uh, kind of spearheaded by Steve Redgrave, who, who you know, kind of towers above us all physically, but also in kind of stature of his success. And he was going for his fifth gold medal um, at Games. And so the, the sort of eyes of certainly British rowing were certainly on Sydney that summer. And it was, uh, you know, even for Steve himself, although he'd had four gold medals before, he was aware there was much more interest, much more sort of public support, whether or not he could deliver the sort of famous and historic fifth gold. So we, we sort of were aware of, it felt like an incredible opportunity for rowing to sort of put its, its name on a much wider map among all sports. Uh, especially in the UK, but but for the women's side, we just we we had, we had brilliant teams in the past, but we'd never had an Olympic medal of any colour in any of the events in any of the Olympics going back for any of the women. So it sort of felt for us to get on the podium to sort of make that breakthrough. It really felt it'd be a huge breakthrough. And although we had seen Steve and his and his amazing teammates being incredibly successful, you know, we hadn't really not been the same sort of role models on the women's side that had really sort of set the standards of this is what could be possible. So it was, there was a lot of hope and a lot of um, sort of what if, but there certainly wasn't a feeling of certainty that we could deliver that result. Uh, and I mean, you guys know as well as I do, you know, the, the games is just such a, a one, whatever sport you're in, whatever stage in your career, the Olympic Games, if you're an Olympic sport, it does sit above everything else. And it really... You know, really feels like an incredible privilege and amazing opportunity. It feels like the moment to deliver the ultimate result. Um, and you know, for a sport like rowing, where you don't get huge amounts of competition week in, week out, year in, year out, the Olympics is the sort of one moment in your four-year cycle that you you have to deliver. You really need to deliver the best. So I think for us in Sydney, we sort of felt this. It was a bit of a moment in history. There was an opportunity. There was, you know, we were fit, we were well. We'd had, you know, a decent through the heats and the the semis and things. We'd had good performance, um, but we weren't by no means were guaranteed a, a sort of end on the podium. So for us, for the four of us in the boat in the quad and our coach, it was all about just making it to top three. Just breaking into the top three was was, uh, you know, effectively that that was our gold medal for those games. Uh, so I think we all, you know, even the night before the meetings we had and the conversations we had, we we had this sense of feeling the importance, feeling the relevance, feeling the the kind of scale of if we could deliver that result, what it would mean. And um, you know, ultimately, it comes down to 
whatever that is, a sort of six-ish minute race and, and trying to get every element of it as well as we possibly could. You know, again, in Sydney, as most games, the crowds were absolutely immense. And that was my first experience of how different those those games are in that, you know, we've been to World Championships, we might be to World Cup. The, the Olympic Games still towers above everything on the passion and the noise and the pressure and the expectation and the crowd support and the sort of public interest. So, you know, you can either take all of that and hopefully it brings out the best in you or you take all of that and it can become a bit overwhelming. And I think for us in Sydney, all we felt was the opportunity. We didn't feel overwhelming pressure. We didn't feel huge expectation. We just felt, give us this chance and we want to deliver this result. And and we did. You know, we won we won the medal that that day. We felt, I was I was convinced it was a bronze medal because it was a photo finish. Um, we won the silver by 800 of a second. And that was even better. That was like winning again. Um, and and I think we were we were utterly thrilled in that moment, absolutely pure joy with that silver medal. And then we realised very quickly after just the incredible impact it would have um, on the rest of the team, on the sport as a whole. And even you know, I went to lots of clubs and schools in the, in the sort of aftermath of the games. And you realise then, kind of you know what felt at the time like quite a personal goal for you know a small team suddenly could have this really positive impact across a much wider area of the sport. And we definitely saw, certainly in the UK, a sort of uptake in, you know, rowing becoming a sport for girls and young women in a way we hadn't seen before. So, you you, you know, very early on in my career, you've got that incredible feedback. Of this, this, is, you know, this is more than just a race and a medal. This, this can be life-changing for a lot of people when you get that level of success. Sure, there is so much cool stuff in there, and then and that, what a what a good start to to our chat. And you know, you you touched on just the actual race, and and the, just the race by itself is such an awesome race. I mean, it's it's close, and I mean, it's it's so tight at the end. The photo finish, and then I, I the 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 version I watched, uh, you you guys don't even find out the results for like a long time. They they yeah, take ages to go through the the photo finish and and kind of. Uh, looks like they have even some deliberation, and then they come and and give you the result, which is which is quite unusual uh, from uh, what we see today. But yeah, so so awesome, and and yeah, this the race was was really cool, and then yeah, I mean the Olympic medal means so much more, and it it really does set up the the future, and it it gives the the next generation or the next uh, uh, p- uh, lot of of people coming through belief that. You know, if they if they follow the, those footsteps, follow that process, they can uh, they can reach the, the same goals. And and I think we definitely see that going on from Sydney. The the kind of change in 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 uh, British women's rowing has has definitely stepped up. And you know, over the next two Olympics, there's there's quite a lot of uh, a lot of change going on. Yeah, so you know, I'm interested just after Sydney. How did your perspective change on your rowing career, and, and how does the outlook change going into the next four years? Because you know, the silver medal at your first Olympics is fantastic, and then obviously you, you know, that kind of changes your expectations um, for your career. And then, like it sense, I mean, like you said, you didn't have any expectations going to Sydney, but after winning the silver medal, that does kind of add a layer of expectations to your rowing performance. And then, so chat to us a bit about moving into 2004 because not only you know is it another Olympic cycle, but you also stripped both classes across disciplines in rowing and got into the pair with Kath Bishop. So chat to us a bit about switching into the pair 
um, and how you know how that uh, came around because we know you've you've you done some sweep rowing in the past, but you know it must have been a bit challenging at first. But chat to us uh, about just hopping into the pair and going going um, into the 2004 Athens Games. Yeah, so I I mean I came back from Sydney and and it, as I said, it was my first games, it was my first experience. It was just incredible in, in every sense, not just you know the performance and our medal, but but you know you know the opening ceremony, the closing ceremony, the, the kind of the whole thing that that sort of encompass the Olympics. I just I loved every second. It was absolutely thrilling. And although it feels then a long wait to the next one in four years' time, I still felt you know so early in my career I was so inexperienced relatively to the other people around me um, in Sydney, and I felt I'd loads more. I still wanted to learn loads more. I wanted to do. I felt you know I was I was just starting off. I so much more I could improve on you know when you are surrounded by you know brilliant brilliant people in your team it was really motivating to kind of go I want to see where I can go next and and you're right the expectations shift very quickly to just make it into Olympic team with everything to getting on the podium to suddenly well now you know I've got a silver medal now well the only way forward is to go better than that and um so the I hopefully it wasn't personal but but over the next sort of year or two the girls at Rodos in Sydney all retired I don't think it was me, but they did all uh, leave for, for various various reasons. Uh, I'm still very good friends with them, so I'm sure it wasn't anything personal. But they retired, and you know there was always a sense of um, we wouldn't have that crew again. We were never going to be back in that boat after the Sydney final. And so it was, well, I know I want to continue. I know I want to keep rowing. I know I've kind of got the bug now. But now I've got, I'll, whatever it happens, it will be different than it was in Sydney. And um, I, I had started sweet rowing. You know, when I learned at university and things, it was sweet rowing I always began with. I was kind of later to sculling. So I was very comfortable with the option of going back to sweet. And I did have the opportunity to get in the boat uh, with Casper took quite early on in that four-year period. And, you know, for me, she was, you know, she was an absolute hero in the team. You know, she had set British and world records in the on the rowing machine. She was kind of, you know, always been one of the lead three athletes and again you know I, I've always I've always loved bits of my career when I'm learning from the people I'm rowing with when I'm kind of you know there's always people that you can improve with and and sort of feel inspired by and, and I've been so lucky throughout my career to always row with people that have sort of pushed me beyond and pushed made me better um, and so we got in the pair together and you know from very early on Kath had, had you know been to the previous two games and hadn't sort of been as successful as she wanted to be or her potential showed. So she was very much set on, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this well. And I obviously had come from a place of, you know, I've, I've been on the Olympic podium, you know, I, I want to do that again. Um, so we, we have had high ambitions and high expectations from the start. Um, and then the, the pair, I mean, I love I loved the change back to sweep. I feel really comfortable with sweep boat. Probably the biggest change is going from a, a but even if four people to two, it feels quite a big difference. It's quite different. I've been lucky. I've competed in all the different boat classes, and they all have quite a different feel to them and a sort of different psyche to them. And I think when you're in the small boat, you know, single or, or double or pair, you know, it is it is there's a much sort of more intimate feeling about them. And mm. you, I always felt more of a responsibility as well. You know, there's. The, the responsibilities get shared in whatever side of the boat you're in. But when there's only two of you, you are utterly dependent on another person. They are utterly dependent on you. And I, I actually love that. I really, I really 
I like that feeling of the weight. You feel, you have the weight of someone's dreams in your hands and they have yours and you have to have that amazing trust. Um, but at the same time, you know, it is the intensity gives it another element that's quite difficult. You know, is I remember speaking to Matthew Pinson and Steve Redgrove and they often talked about it, you know, they saw each other more than they saw their wives. And it's, you know, this it's like a marriage, but even more kind of obsessively intense because you, you know, you train together, you ate together, you were in the same room together. And there was that different level. When it's going brilliantly, obviously it's fabulous. And when it, it's harder, it's disappointing. It's, you know, it's then hard to get space sometimes to to step out and see it from a different perspective. So I kind of learned all of that in that run up to Athens. And I, I did love it. I still, I still really adore the, I mean, I love the, the speed and the complexity of the big boats, but there's something I find really sort of the ultimate challenge is the smaller you go, the smaller boats, getting those right. Um, and Kath and I had a, had a great time and we won you know, in 2003, the year before Athens, um, in a sort of qualifying regatta at the World Championships. We won our first title and I think, I suppose I haven't been on the podium in Sydney. I hadn't quite appreciated what it might be like to then sort of win the World Championships and I remember in the first interview we did after the World Championships in Milan, um, the, the first question we got was, how does it feel to be the best in the world at something? And it sort of struck me at that moment, and I hadn't thought about it before, mm. but you know, in that one moment in time when you win the world title, and, and I loved as well you know, the, the sort of original language of rowing as French, and you stand on the podium and they say, champion du monde. And there's something really kind of like, wow, you really are the champion of the world. And... You know, it could have been the day before, the day after, you know, maybe you wouldn't be. But in that moment in time, you can say you are the best in the world at something. And I sort of hadn't ever thought that's what that title would mean. Yeah. So we had an incredible run. Yeah, because, I mean, if you're looking at the, your first Olympic cycle, it's, it's I mean, you have decent uh, under-23s and then it's kind of like a normal progression. Some good results, a few little podiums, and then obviously you get it really right at the at the Olympics with the, the silver. And that's like your best performance of the whole cycle and then going into the next cycle you know there you're starting to to get on the podium way more often and and starting to i don't know become uh just a an a, a usual suspect on the on the podium and then but finally getting your your world champs in in 2003 the world champion it, yeah it's really is really special and really cool to to be in that moment uh number one and did you uh, so going to like the the women's team, did you guys did you plan to try and shift to the to the women's pair, or was it from the coaching side that they wanted uh, they thought the pair was going to be the best, or how did the kind of dynamics work between the the system and and what you wanted? Yeah, it was quite a complex year, a few years actually, because we had um, the first year we wrote together, the sort of year following Sydney, so in two thousand one, we got put together. Uh, quite early on, just because you know, I'd I'd been happy to move back to sweep, and we had we you know competed in the national trials and won the trials and were selected. Uh, and they, I can't I can't even remember the ranking. I don't think there was necessarily so what was the top boat of the team because it was quite a sort of change after Sydney. So there was quite a few different boats being put together, and and we were sort of the top in the sweep group, and that was great. And then. And then actually, we although we competed at the World Championships in 2001, we finished fifth. And Kath was really quite disappointed and actually decided at that point she'd walk away from the sport. And she went off and, and actually was headhunted and joined the Foreign Office of the British government. So quite a career change. And um, But then kind of we were persuaded back to come back. So she didn't compete in 2002. 
I went back to the quad for a bit and then she came back in 2003. And at that point, um, to be honest, there was a sort of feeling of, you know, these two have tried it already and not been successful sort of back in 2001. So there was a bit of a more reluctance from the selectors to put us back together. And um, we ended up sort of being put back together almost because the other options had been, they selected a quad by then, they selected a double. There was sort of almost like not much left, but for those two back in the pair because they were we were kind of leftovers at the end of the selection and so we were not a priority vote in 2003 um, so it's for the two of us it was quite a personal mission to sort of see what success we could get and we worked brilliantly with our coach who'd come over from Australia Paul Thompson and there was a real belief I think and we had all the right ingredients to, to deliver a great result we just hadn't in 2001, we hadn't, it hadn't been the right year, it hadn't been the right time. We'd both probably taken too much time off after the game, the Olympics. But by 2003, I think we're much clearer on how we wanted to do things, what we felt was possible, and we, you know, we were stronger, fitter, and more ready. Um, and there, you know, there's nothing quite like a challenge. There's nothing quite like, you know, some people may be dismissing you um, in their minds and being able to prove people wrong. So we, we sort of had a, a brilliant sort of, 2003 and obviously finished in the, the world title and then because that also qualified us for the Athens Games in 2004 then the selection was more simple for the next year going into the Games. Yeah and I mean you, you're talking yeah, about yeah. Uh, going after a challenge and I mean you have the challenge of the, the, the one side of getting put in the pair but then you also have the challenge of going against the Romanians who were very successful yeah. in the pair uh, during, that, uh, during that time. Um, did that was that kind of uh, edge you on a bit to to go in and take on a, a crew that uh, or, or a crew or a country that was already doing quite well in a in a specific uh, event? I, I love the understatement. They were doing really quite well. They were kind of you know they were, they were incredible. They absolutely were incredible. You know they won the, the title in Sydney and just kept winning. They just won sort of everything they did, and they really in our event you know, they really did dominate and. You know, not just winning the big events, but just winning kind of every, every event and very, very consistent, very reliable, very impressive. Um, and they just, you know, they had beautiful, beautiful technique and style and very efficient, very effective athletes. Um, and, it, and it's interesting because they, you know, it's kind of, I mean, everyone's a bit different in how they want to take on the, the, the sort of opposition and the challenges and how much you want to be. Because obviously we're, we're in a sport that, you don't, you can't directly influence or interfere in a race. You know, it's not like you can block anyone or, or impede. So you're in your own lane. But how much do you just focus on your performance then and not think of the opposition because you can't affect them and they can't affect you? Or how much are you very aware of your opposition? And I think with the Romanians, we were very aware of them, um, almost, you know, to try and learn from them and to, you know, they, they really were. You want to re- learn from the best in the business and they were. Um, so they always felt like an amazing kind of daunting prospect of opposition but it always you know they were a brilliant challenge you know that's you know when it came to Milan we, we did beat them in the, the world championships and you know you, there's something very thrilling about knowing you're taking on truly the best in the world they really are mm. were the best and they were you know, reigning Olympic champions reigning world champions and you know if you're going to try and prove yourself and think you could potentially be the best you almost have you know you have to beat the best to take that title um, so it was, I think it was a surprise if I'm honest, but, you know, but, but to deliver that result and, and beat them on that day. Um, but we always sort of felt, it didn't feel like we'd beat them once and therefore we'd, we'd, you know, that 
they'd never they would never win again. We knew they'd come back, and they came back very strongly. Obviously, at Athens. I do think there's something there is something incredible about having, you know, like I said, a, a crewmate that really lifts your own performance, but then an opposition that also lifts your performance, and that you know you would have to have your best performance your best day to to be better than them. And I think that's what we felt coming into Athens was, you know, they were back to their best. We were. We were close to, you know, we were where we thought we needed to be, but we knew it would be, a, you know, the ultimate race again against them. And that, you know, those are the, those are the, the days that, even though we didn't win against them in Athens again, but, you know, it's really, I've got really positive mes- memories of when you are pushed to your absolute best by brilliant opposition. Yeah, and I want to go into the, the race actually in, in Athens because, you know, after watching all your races, that definitely seemed like, in terms of the, the way the race progressed, it was really interesting because a lot of the times when we watch your races in Olympics, you know, you you are very clearly right at the top of the field with the, the, the best. And, and you two were obviously very competitive in that women's pace race. But, you know, a lot of other crews were really fast and it was, like, interesting to see how you guys really had this fantastic progression in that second thousand and really pushed through to, to, to take that silver medal. Yeah, and it's um, you know, it sort of came from earlier in the week. We had our heat, um, and we we were against the Belarusians who ended up with the bronze, and the, they beat us by a long way. We did not have a good start to that regatta. You know, we came in reasonably confident into Athens, and then got absolutely knocked um, in the yeah, you, heat. We were we were a long way down, and yeah, well, you went through the repertoire, which was very interesting. Yeah, and you sort of feel the Olympic regatta, although it's over a space of a week, I mean, it's shorter now than it used to be, but it was a week then, and it still feels short. So, you know, when you're coming into the the, the games of your life and, you know, the biggest event in your four-year time and the, the opening the opening race, you are way off where you expect to be or where you think you could be and where you need to be, certainly. You know, it's a hard and fast lesson on, on how agile you can be in your thinking and your confidence as well you know we sat down with our coach again that whole week and it was you know you kind of can't take everything apart and put it back together in five days but you also need you know you need a dramatic change in speed in those five days and uh you're kind of aware that every the rest of the team around us is competing and doing brilliantly and sort of focusing their own events and and we you know we had some very kind of hard sort of darker days in those few days just the three of us kind of having to face out very honestly about where it's gone wrong or why it's not working, what do we need to work on? But keeping it still, trying to keep it simple, not trying to overthink it, not trying to overcorrect it. There was lots there that was good. There was lots there that was working, but for some reason it didn't work on the day of the heat. Um, so it was coming back to, for that final, still having the confidence that we had what it, you know, we do have what it takes. It's not like we've lost it. We've not lost speed. We've not lost our ability. Um, but, but being very clear on what we need to deliver. So what is, you focus on to get the performance back to the level it needs to be and that was and you know throughout my career when it's gone at its best there's been a real focus on just the process not thinking about the result not thinking about the outcome just the process and keeping the process quite simple um so we kind of knew mentally and we had a lot of confidence from the the milan race the year before that we might not be although we were you know very strong and very physically powerful we wouldn't necessarily be a crew that's going to, you know, take and lead from the beginning and, and sort of dominate a race. Um, but we had very good rhythm, we had very good length, and, we, you know, we were efficient in our power. And as long as we were confident mentally 
that wherever we were at halfway, we knew we could have a strong second you know, half. We knew we would we'd have we were fit enough to know we could last the distance. We knew we would our technique would hold under that physical strain and as long as we could hold it together mentally in that huge pressure cauldron that the Olympics is then we would deliver a very strong second half. So we were we were confident in our second half. But, you know, like everything in rowing, it's it's holding together that technique, that rhythm when, you know, mentally you're you're starting to mm. not think straight and physically everything is tiring and fatiguing. And you are you know, that the result of the Olympics is so important to us all. And it's trying not to either panic or, you know, start assuming results because of wherever you are at the 500, the 1,000, or the 1,500. So I think a lot of it was when we hit the 1,000, almost this, now we come into our own. You know, the second half to us was our part of the race. So as long as we put ourselves in a, a strong position at halfway, we knew we'd get better second half. And there was that, you know, we, we relied on each other to deliver that second half. And, and yeah, it did mean coming through, you know, the opposition as we were going along. But, like, we've all been there. You know, there's nothing quite like when you are pulling... You know, when you were starting to go through the field, you get you know, it. Yeah, and it, and it, and mm. it, when you get in that real slow feeling and it's working, and you're making ground, and you can hear and you can feel folk sort of that's ahead of you coming closer, and then you start moving through it, then actually, you know, suddenly it's a little bit less painful, it's a little bit less hard because you're it's working. Definitely. Um, so the sec- yeah, it's a hundred percent because, like, especially, and it's 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 double. It's almost double because that first half, and you're slipping back, and you're thinking, like, man, we we we're not having the good race. We're not in it. We're not uh, executing what we should. And then when finally, when that kind of momentum flips, and you can feel that you're moving on the other cruise, it's like just completely swings the other way sometimes, and you can really then uh, put out some some big performances. So. Just before though we get to to like uh before like what does the what did your week look like coming into that? So obviously you come through the the heat and the rep and, and things are not going like perfectly to plan. And and as you say, it's the Olympics, it's huge, it's the biggest thing uh, happening in, in your life at that moment. And then what what does that week look like to try and turn it around? Like were you doing a lot of training, a lot of rowing, or was it more just kind of trying to get your, your mental game into the to the right place? Uh, obviously, you're limited to some extent on training because there's an Olympic regatta happening, so you kind of fit in around it. Obviously, like everyone, um, a lot, you know, we had uh, probably a lot more focused on really, really drilling down into some of the technical things. You know, we felt you know that we did, it didn't it didn't click in the heat, and like I said, it wasn't like oh my god, it's so disastrous. We need to start again. It was hang on, something, something's slightly off, something's skewed. Now we need to just find out what it is. So part of it is, and again, going back to that intensity of a small boat, is still being able to feel you can have really quite hard and honest conversations without damaging the sort of relationship and the communication. And that, you know, that is a real balance to get right of, you know, really being honest with each other about where we think it's gone right or wrong and why, and not feeling because the sensitivities are heightened at the game time that suddenly we could have, you know, we could have conversations that could do damage here. So I think we all, we all recognize, you know, in a way the heat is so bad, we recognize we've got to address this now. You know, we've got to figure out what's going on here. And then you kind of broke it down to, we've got so much, I can't remember how many, how many sessions, training sessions we've got between now and the final. And we just need to, we need to make an improvement every single session we go out there. So suddenly the focus gets very sharpened and, 
but at the same time, you need to also be able to switch off because the last thing I wanted to do is, you know, have the adrenaline, you know, absolutely pounding through your bodies every single day of that regatta week because by then, by the finals, you're too exhausted. So it was that mix of, you know, when we were switched on, when we were at, when we were at the training course, when we were getting it, working the technique, we were really clear and really focused on what we had to do and what to improve. And when we had our meetings, the same sort of honesty and openness. But when we weren't in that, we were just relaxed in our rooms. We we had to find a way to switch off as well. We had to find a way to not obsess over it. And that's hard. That, that's yeah. easy to sit here and say. But at the time, you know, this matters so much. How do you just, oh, never mind. We'll worry about that tomorrow. So, you know, it's a real kind of mental battle and mental skills. Yeah, I mean, it is very challenging. And it's. Um, I'm glad you, you, you touched on that point because, I mean, even for us, when you know, we went to the Rio Games, a lot of the a lot of the mental coaching that we were given is that, you know, just remember that you're going to the Rio games to deliver a race and you mustn't get too caught up in the circus. Like enjoy yourself, but don't, don't get too, uh, you know, don't become too obsessed with the fact that you actually at the Olympics and, um, you know, just remind, remind yourself that you, you've done this a hundred of times, hundreds of times, you've done it in training. You just need to, on there, it's just another race, and you know that's actually a really good point, and I think applies to many races and many things in life. It's often you just got to go back to the basics and keep things mm-hmm. as simple as possible because that often is the best and most efficient way to su- success. Um, so you finish off 2004 with a fantastic silver medal in the the women's pair, and then you know the campaign for 2008 starts and. You know, this this really look this uh, four years looks like you you really get into your groove, and it does seem like you know that you back in the women's squad, and it looks like just the 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 intention is that you're putting together a really strong um, boat. You know, you've obviously established yourself as an exceptional rower, and you know you get off to a flying start. Um, so I just interested to the, the the first years and getting into that women's squad that you know went to the games. Chat us a bit about you know what was the energy, what was the feeling like in the club? Because obviously you know that was that was the you know the gold is the the next step for for you and I'm sure the quad and you guys really I mean world champion in 2005 straight off the bat. So chat us a bit about getting getting into that quad and and what it was like. Yeah, and a little bit of just sort of that whole Beijing lead up the four years um, kind of goes right back to the results in Athens and then and then a bit like you'd said after Sydney, the the change that the Sydney medal brought to the women's team was was this much stronger belief that it was possible. You know, because we had, you know, the four of us that won that medal in Sydney, you know, weren't in any way exceptional compared to the rest of the team. Um, you know, we trained in the same location, we had the same piece of water, we had the same equipment, we had the same coaches, the same we had an incredible sort of support, but so did the rest of the team. So I think the belief Every day that happened between Sydney and Athens made sure that in Athens, the three women's boats that competed all came back with Olympic medals. So, you know, Sydney was the first ever in history and suddenly in the next Olympics, every single women's boat wins a medal. Um, And I think the big thing for us all there was they were silvers and bronze medals. So although it was fabulous, you know, naturally you're thinking, okay, well, the next step is the gold. Um, so when we cast retired after 2004, so I knew again I'd be changing boats. This is, this, is a, this happens in my career. Everyone retires after I go. <laughs> and um, and so she went back to the foreign office. So I knew I was in a different boat class, and I sat down with to my coach at the beginning of that 
year and you know he was just interested in what I was thinking and what I might be interested in and he suggested he thought it'd be a very good quad there and he knew he knew I needed a challenge he always knew I was kind of an athlete that I wanted something slightly different something you know that would you know again kind of demand everything of me so he said you know I think we could put together a quad and I think you know if it, if it works out you should try the stroke seat so stroking the boat was like a really different challenge for me because I'd always been in the bow seat. Um, I was in the bow seat certainly in, in the years with Cass um, and usually in the, the three seat in the quad before that. The stroke seat was a different game for me to take on, which I loved. Um, and the other the other girls in the team had been in in Athens and got silver medal as well. So we had, we you know, we had amazing potential and all very, very similar mindsets of we're all Olympians, we're all Olympic medalists, we all want to now see if we can get on the top step. So you know, the, the, that, that sort of common goal that really does unite a team was so simple from the beginning and so obvious. You know, there was no one sort of thinking, oh, I don't know, maybe we should try something different. It was very clear. And I think that's one of the joys of our sport or sport generally in the, in the Olympics is the goals are very obvious, what you're trying to achieve. So we can never, you know, say competitive mindset all good to go and we came into the 2005 world championships in in gifu in japan and um it was it was one of the crazier world championships have been um partly because of the the weather and the conditions through in a whole different curveball i mean we're an outdoor sport you're used to surprising weather changes but it was sort of typhoon season in japan and you know the course had to be closed for a couple of days in the week leading up to the racing um, because of the weather conditions and the actual the buoyed course that had been put out onto the river ha- uh, was taken away at one point because it was flooding and uh, the the world everyone broke a world record I think in the first two days and they all had to be discounted because there was a flow to the water because there'd been flooding before so there's all these kind of weird factors coming into the world championships um, but in the quad we were we were still pretty clear on what we tried to do. And I think the biggest, the most exciting thing for me reflecting on that year was, um, again, going back to that, that real thrill when you've got serious opposition, when you really have kind of, I mean, it's always going to be competitive at the World Championships, but we had a brilliant, brilliantly impressive German boat um, that was, had amazing athletes in it, and Catherine Boron was in it. And now, you know, if you're a woman sculling, Catherine Boron's name will be forever in history. She, you know, won four Olympic golds and I can't remember how many world titles, numerous. Um, just was just was one of those game-changing athletes could go into any boat and could would make it better and expect to win. You know, she was the name that you expect to win if you were with her and if you were her, she knew she would deliver the results. And so we kind of thinking, okay, this is another one of those competitions that although it's very good across the board, it's going to be basically the Germans who are going to want to be. They're, they are the sort of name in this event now and um and again it came to our final and it was a it was windy day it was very rough towards the finish line um it was kind of tailwind and it got choppier and choppier down the course and the germans had this incredible uh, record of sort of second 500 just demolishing everyone just you know coming out reasonably fast but then kind of putting in a, an incredible second 500 that just finished off the field and then could almost do anything they wanted in the second half because they'd, they'd sort of won the race by then. 
So we kind of had come up with this amazing tactic that we would surprise them in that sort of almost 250 to 750 bits. Quite a bit earlier on, put in a real, the fastest sort of 500 we could do. And then sort of, you know, basically catch them out of their own game and see what we could do. And that was our cunning plan. And, um, and we were all up for it and all like mentally really switched on and really kind of ready for that challenge. It was going to hurt and it was going to be painful and it's quite an uncomfortable way to race because it's almost loading it too early. You know, it's a very risky strategy. But we thought we've got to try something. Um, so we did and we put in this, to us, a really, really hard and fast kind of 500 meters. And I think about, we kind of, you know, went into that really dark tunnel. Of, I'm not going to think about them. I'm not going to think about anyone. Just think about this 500. I'm going to deliver the fastest, hardest one I can do. And then got, and then looked up at the end of that 500 and they were still ahead of us. <laughs> you think at that point, oh, like what now? Um, and one of the things we'd worked on really hard in that quad was kind of our individual responsibilities in the boat and our individual roles and really trusting each other to deliver the job that you had to do and nothing more. So not kind of trying to second guess each other. But And the, the amazing thing, we've been so trained to do that. When, when we came out and by halfway, really, we're kind of, okay, that hasn't worked. Now what moment? Um, you know, we had Bex, who was in the bio seat, and she she was missing the call. And it was just sort of confidence came into the voice and just, well, now we're going to, now we're going to plan B. And there was no plan B. But suddenly, you know, the, the call came in and we responded and, we all did our jobs we were supposed to do. And then we got into the, we were closing slightly, but it was still very, very tight. Tightest race I've ever been in from start to finish. And um, and it was really like they pulled a bit and then we pulled back a bit. And it was just edging the whole way down. And then within the last few hundred meters, it got so rough. And the German boat slightly caught the wave. Just, and you, and we, you can see it back. It was Catherine Boran who actually, her blade clipped of the water. And because she is so good and so skillful, if you watch it in slow motion, she actually lets go of the blade completely and catches it again and still makes the stroke. But it was enough to unsettle the crew. And like I said, Bex and our bouncy caught, saw it immediately and called it. And, and we kind of sprinted at that point and got ahead of them and won it. So it was, um, it was a fabulous start to that Olympiad. It was a very dramatic racing, a very exciting, mm. and a great, a great test to us that you know, in those very unexpected things go wrong in races all the time, we yeah. could respond and we were mature, mature enough to know what to do. So, oh my word, that's that's so awesome and it's such a cool story. And I mean, those races are, those are the hardest by far because you know you you laying it all out there, flat out as hard as you can, and then you know, you look across and you haven't done the damage that you kind of expect to do. And then you, you kind of have to just keep going. And each time you look across and it's nothing has changed. And, you know, those are, I think, physically and mentally, those can be the absolute hardest races. But if you come out and you, you, you perform just that literally one stroke better, you, you kind of make it all worth it in the end. And I think those races then can be very, very special. Yeah, and I think something amazing in, in all in all sort of team sports is, you know, what do you do when things go wrong? You know, that's almost the ultimate test. Is it's very easy for everyone to deliver the perfect result or the perfect race when everything goes to plan. But it's kind of like, how do you respond when things go wrong? And, and you know, we're in a sport that there is no timeout. You know, there's no sort of half time. You don't get to like, oh, let's look at this again. It's kind of like you are thinking in the moment when. You know, a bit like we're saying towards any end of any race, you are, you know, it's hard to think, it's hard to breathe, it's hard to keep technique, it's hard to keep time. And you're trying to make very, very fast decisions. 
based on unexpected factors now. And you know, that's that's valid right. fact. Those are the races you think, oh, they really stand out because it is it is the big test. And uh, just to continue on that, I mean, you 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 spoke about the trust in the boat, and I think that is. I mean, that is probably where that win comes from because especially in the quad, as you say, like the pairs are like smaller and more intimate uh, dynamics between the two. But the, the the bigger boats, you know, you need to have complete trust in everyone's role, everyone's ability to respond in the right way when it goes on. Because as soon as you start worrying about another crewmate down the track, you, you're not going to be able to, to execute it the way you wanted to and then i mean I, I just also had to laugh because you spoke about the the weather and how it's it's it was a it was a, a rough and a, a surprise and you know every episode every interview we we run there's at least one regatta that kind of is a surprise on the on the weather front and you know it's always like oh well, we're an outdoor sport so it's supposed to be um but it's just a i think it's just very funny because there's just always a, a race or a regatta whether they're the the athlete has got it right or, or got it wrong it's it's always just you know wild and you know if we look back at the at the years there's always at least once a year or once every two years there's a a regatta that's just completely off the charts on the on the weather but we don't have to dig into that we we can leave that uh <laughs> we can but leave I, that I one the, the, good, the, the good thing is is that i think you know, as athletes, rowers are very good at having to be adaptable and having to, you know, change and have to make different plans and having kind of to respond in unexpected situations, whether wind comes up or wind changes direction or you're both in one minute and the next minute is tailwind or headwind. And, you know, I think it may, I think it's very, it's not comfortable, but it's very good for you as a person to, to have those skills that are kind of part of you that you have, you can change mindset quickly and adjust to, how do we make the most out of this now? And I think that's not a bad thing to have. And and back to your point about, you know, the the trust, especially in the bigger boats, is also because it's so much harder to communicate. You know, if, you, if you're in a small boat, the two of you, you, you can have those quick conversations. I mean, you're trying to breathe as well. But, you know, if, if it was like, well, okay, they're faster than we thought or we need to do something differently, you can, you can communicate very easily, very quickly. Mm, yes. If it's a quad or an eight, or an eight you know, you, unless, you know, the cocks can obviously have that role in an eight, but there's no way you could have any kind of discussion debate in a, as soon as you move to a four or a quad. I think that's when you need that, you know, as soon as you push off from, from the landing stage, you need to kind of know what each other is going to do and what you're going to say and what you're going to think. And if anyone, we always had this thing, if anyone called anything in the race, you would just do it. You wouldn't question it because there's no, yeah. there's no time and there's no space for discussion. Yeah, definitely. No, I think a, a bit of a trade-off, the bigger the, the boat you get in, like a lot more moving parts. So, I mean, it's, it doesn't, it's just from efficiency sake, it's, it's obviously more difficult. But on the flip side, I mean, you, you mentioned that earlier, like the pair, the, the communication is a bit easier. It can be more direct. But it's it's more intense and it's it's more intimate, which has which has a, a negative part to that as well, which is very interesting. Yeah, but, um, yeah, it's, e- so it's we, easier. It's, yeah, you're right. The communication is easier from a practical point of view in a small boat. Yeah, not necessarily easier easier from an emotional point of view. No, 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 definitely not. I mean, the investment you put yourself in emotionally just into the other person is like way more. And I, I find because we do a lot of um, most of our rowing is in pairs and fours. I find a lot of time if you're in a pair and you've got an issue with the guy you're rowing with, it's 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 not often that you can like it's usually it blows up, which is actually you know the, usually the best way to sort things out is to get it out of the way straight away. But it's it's difficult. But often in the bigger boats, you know, 
a sound irritates you a session, you can maybe go to one of your crewmates or mm-hmm. go to someone else, and there's it's a bit a bit easier. So it's definitely it's definitely you know, the smaller the boat gets, the more more hard um, it, the the relationship can become. So I mean, we on 2008 the 2008 campaign, and you know if we're going through to right to Olympic year. You guys are triple world champions um, going into the, the, the Olympics, which is, I mean, from someone, you know, from a, from a row, that's probably the best position you can put yourself in. Like you said, the Germans are such a dominant crew and you, you, you had a really close race in 2005, but subsequently in 2006 and 2007, um, you, you managed to put a little bit more of a margin into them. So you know that you, you guys are very capable of, um, of that race. And obviously 2008, was a difficult regatta for you guys. And I'm interested to listen to, you know, going into 2008, what was the, you know, the, the attitude in the boats going for that gold medal? It must have been, you know, um, a fantastic position to be in. And, and then also talking about the race and talking a bit about, you know, not getting that gold medal. Because I can see, I mean, just looking at the podium, it must have, it was disappointing to not get the, the gold medal. And, yeah. you know, we are, are going to talk about the fantastic times, but I mean, I, I, I find that a lot of the times it's really interesting and you get such good perspective when you speak to athletes that have had such fantastic results like yourself, but also get into a bit about times where it didn't go so well. So I'm interested. I mean, we're talking about silver medal, which is crazy that it didn't go so well, but obviously it's a difficult result. And I'm interested to hear about uh, your feelings on that race. Yeah, so we, like you said, we came into the beginning of 2008 having the, the three world titles to our name. So we were, you know, it hadn't just been we'd got one good result. So before, you know, before Athens, I'd got, we'd got our one title and, and that was great. Um, but before Beijing, we had three world titles and we had, we had learned to be, you know, consistent in our delivery. It wasn't a one-off. We really knew how to deliver at the very top level time after time. And we were just constantly hungry to keep improving. We were always looking at the improvements in the lead up to Beijing because we, we you know, we had said to ourselves, we'd said publicly that we we really felt Beijing was the best opportunity we'd have to deliver the gold medal. And at that point, the women's rowing team for Great Britain had never got a gold medal. So we had won all the other colours. We felt Beijing was our best opportunity. We now had three world titles to our name, which gave us a lot of confidence. We knew, we knew how to deliver um, our best performances. And we'd been very, probably our most dominant performance was actually in 2007 in the World Championships that qualified us. And, you know, we've got the biggest lead and the best performance. So we, we kind of felt, right, we've, we've been through it, we've learned, we know we're ready. Um, I suppose the biggest difference of the, the 2008 season, not just the games itself, was, um, and it wasn't just in rowing, it's across a lot of different sports. The sort of change we saw in in the home team, in the Chinese team. So, you know, Beijing were the hosts. China had very publicly said that they wanted to top the medal table across all sports, and they'd never they'd never been at the top. Um, so, I think in two thousand eight, we saw across so many different sports this really, really quite phenomenal Chinese team. And um, you know, one of the events that the the top team came into was in our our event, the women's quad, and we had a very very impressive women's quad start racing and um, they had they'd been around 2007 but not you know hadn't really bothered us 2008 they were better and we you know we had some earlier races against them and we won some and they won some probably at the regatta especially with a home you know Chinese being a home 
team there. We kind of felt we were probably equal favourites at the start of that regatta. And, and the way that the regatta was set up, you know, often the two favourites wouldn't meet until the finals. We were in different kind of sides of the draw as such. Um, and both the boats, both us and the Chinese, both had broken the Olympic record in the heat. So we kind of also knew, you know, not just that this would be an incredible race between two boats, but also we were the at that point, you know, the fastest two boats in the Olympic history in this event. So it was, a, you know, going to be a huge showdown. Um, one thing we'd always had was a very fast start. And obviously rowing being one of those crazy sports that you go backwards. You know, the, the, a fast start does give you some advantage of yeah, being definitely. able to watch the field behind you. And mm. so, yeah. We did have a fast start. We were, you know, we had, we had, we delivered the kind of very similar to race that when we won in the previous regattas and, you know, fast start, strong rhythm, um, never felt complacent. I don't think you ever complacent Olympic final, but never, you know, we're always aware there'd be a, there'd be a threat there. Um, and, but we got our lead, we got where we needed to be, you know, we, we got the rhythm we wanted. We were kind of racing as we expected. Um, and the Chinese were always there, um, but you know we were doing fine. And then it wasn't really until the dying stages. You know, you get those incredible crowds, and wherever you are, and in China they did you know banging drums, and lots of school kids were there, and it was really deafening in a in a wonderful way. And it was only really in the last few hundred meters where we saw the true potential of that Chinese crew. They they suddenly put in a sprint finish that was really quite extraordinary and we hadn't seen they changed their stroke for the regatta and um, we hadn't seen them perform like that and we hadn't seen them have that level of speed at the end of a race but we you know you expect a sprint finish you all of course you we had a sprint finish everyone had that sprint finish and they raised the rate and they raised intensity and we raised ours to match it and they did it again and you you are going through now everything. We were going through everything we had. You know, every every lesson, every training session, every race. You know, everything we had in our arsenal. You're going through it all now because it's the dying stages of the Olympics. And um and we were leading, and they they sort of drew level, and they drew ahead, and the finish line came, and they beat us by I can't remember now less than a second. And it is you know it's instantaneous. Even though it was close, I knew instantly we were second. And you know, it wasn't just on the podium. Any footage of it, you see, by the time the boat has drifted those few metres across the line, all of us are, you know, heads down, heads in hand. You know, we knew instantly we'd been beaten. And we also knew that for us, at that point in our careers, and at that point in those four years, that the only measure of success would have been the gold. So the silver was going to be a failure. And although, you know, just eight years before, I'd stood in, in Sydney, happiest I could ever imagine with a silver and I would have been as happy with a bronze you know any colour would have been magical in Sydney you know eight years later because of expectations changing and and our potential changing the silver medal to us was was a, a physical symbol of, of failure and we were absolutely dev- emotionally devastated just crushed and, and for me it's not just that you've not got the result you wanted or not delivered the result you felt you should. But there's a real sense of feeling we've let people down. You know, I think you are, you were part of a big national team. You sort of felt we didn't deliver the result we should have for our, for team GB, but also for our coaches, for our students, for our nutritionists, for our psychologists, for, you know, for all these amazing people that put in so many hours behind the scenes to get us where we need to get to. 
almost the last step of that journey is the Olympic final, delivering the best race you could. And, and although on that day it probably was the best race you could, it wasn't good enough. And that was very, very hard to sort of accept and be okay with and, and see that as a positive result. You know, for us all, it was, it was, it was really crushing. And, you know, we all went on you know, live TV back on the BBC and, you know, we're all apologizing for our failures and trying to find the words of explaining why this, you know, I think as an athlete you do in, in a good way, but you lose perspective and it meant everything and, it, and it, it defined us and defined our career and defined our abilities. And right now it meant, you know, it just meant we'd got it wrong. And I remember of all the medals, that, that Beijing medal, which is a beautiful, beautiful medal, you know, with inset jade and everything, you know, it's the most now kind of still sort of perfect medal because I didn't take it anywhere. I didn't want to show it to people. I was genuinely ashamed of, of what it stood for. And it took quite a long time to be okay with it and to see it for what it is and to see it as, the, you know, the great result that it was um, because of our perspective, because of our expectation. And I think the hardest thing for me is one of the girls on our team, Annie, that was her first Olympic Games. That was her first Olympic Games and her first Olympic podium which is what I had had in, in Sydney and had a wonderful experience. And she was receiving her first ever Olympic medal and she was in tears of disappointment, you know, not of tears yeah, of joy. And, sure. and, and that, that is tough. That's tough. That, that, you know, if I, I get asked sometimes, would you change anything? And I would change that. I would change that moment for her because she did not deserve to feel disappointed with a, an Olympic silver medal. Sure, it's our, uh, first, our first time of trying. It's so emotional, and it, I mean, even watching that race, it's 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 really it's really heartbreaking, and it's you know it's, it's still a silver medal, and it's still absolutely amazing. And the results, I think, as you go on, and and I think that result will still it will be amazing, but it'll always be hard. And you know, looking at those four years, so from two thousand and five to two thousand eight, you raced fifteen. Um, uh, world Cups and World Champs and Olympics, and you won eleven golds. And I mean, that should be, it should be like the a huge highlight of your of your career to be able to, you know, you've gone from always fighting for the podium to now always being on the podium, and yeah, you know, it's 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 so emotional and so tough to to end with a silver. But what an awesome four years, and it should be it should be really really special. It should be really really. I don't know. You should be really proud of it. I think it's uh, it's really amazing to to have those kind of results and to have a, a a set of four years where you don't miss a podium, not even once, is still is still really really special. Mm. Yeah, and and I was, and and uh, you know, we. I mean, the disappointments we had in that time. That one thing I'm proudest of was, you know, as a crew, we never there was never a blame. There was never you know, a kind of finger pointing or where did this go wrong or who is a real collective responsibility in those years and a real, I don't know, just a real, uh, I think the pressure grew and I think the pressure ultimately was probably too much by the end, but you know, there's a real excitement and a real sort of, a real awareness of what we were trying to achieve together. You know, it, it is something wonderful about trying to achieve a moment, of, you know, a moment in history and, you know, I think we got very close. And I think the hardest thing was having got it right so many times in so many different ways. And the very last step to sort of, not to get it wrong, but just to not to be able to deliver yes. what we wanted. Kind of, it sort of affected the whole four years in a way because you thought, oh, you know, that was the last thing to deliver to get it right. And it would have, you know, the whole four years would have felt differently probably if we'd got that result. But 
I mean, it was still, and it is, it's, um, it's a very hard and very painful experience to go through, but it, it's an incredible, like most things in sports, incredible sort of test of character and, mm. and, you know, resilience when you are, when you have to, you know, the only thing to do is to get, is to get, go forward through that the next few days, next few weeks, the next few months, as hard as it is, you, know, you get through it and, and you are ultimately better for getting through it, but it's yeah. still a big test. No, for sure. And I, I love that point because I think, you know, there there's so many layers to an athlete, you know, from physiological, mental and I feel like the those results it's those results are the ones that I often find will uh when we look at the athletes, there's always a, a result that seems like it propels that athlete or that person towards greater things because it it makes the winning and it makes success become so much more special and it makes it become so much more visceral and it, it creates an impetus and when you look at uh, what um, the next four years after 2008, it really does look like you, you hit your stride and that there was a, a different driving force behind your rowing career um, and I'm really excited to talk about uh, the next four years and Right off the bat in 2009, I find this a very, you know, when you look at all the Olympic medals, 2009 for me is probably um, the underrated biggest uh, year of your career because you switched into a single spell. And not only did you, you make a switch into arguably the hardest boat to switch into and perform in, you really did go and perform. You won the first World Cup and you went to World Champs against, you know, some of the biggest names in women's sport at the moment, racing uh, people like uh, Katarina Karsten and Kemre with the silver medal in the silver, in the single skull. That must have been incredible to know that by yourself you uh, got the capability of still being at the top of the world. So I'm really uh, interested to hear about 2009 and, and uh, what it was like racing in the skull. Oh, yeah, no, thank you. It's um, it is, And you're right, it's a year that, probably to me personally had one of the most biggest impacts on me and yet you know it is it's not that it's dismissed it's sort of or forgotten but it's often not talked about or a lot of people aren't aware of it and its key role and one of the, the most important things for me for 2009 was you know, like I said Beijing took a while to to come to terms with and to accept and to move on with and I and I sort of had this you know, the, all the after Sydney, after Athens, I knew I was going to continue. Absolutely knew it, no doubt. After Beijing, it was probably the first time I thought, "Do I want to go through this again? Do I want to do this? You know, what what would I be doing it for? Why? Why would I? You know, this is hard. <laughs> it's hard being an athlete anyway, but gosh, it's emotionally crushing when it goes wrong and really. And I didn't want to go on only. You know, I didn't want to get so desperate for the Olympic gold. It was going to, you know you know just start to becoming damaging if you sort of cling on just for that I just need to get one more thing in my life so I needed to make sure it was a real positive decision to come back and it was a really kind of because I wanted to do it because I enjoyed it because I loved it and irrespective of where where it took me in the next four years I'd still be glad I did it you know whatever happened in London um so part of almost the I don't know the sort of the, the sort of dealing with with Beijing was when I came back for 2009 was again that as I had after Athens was what's my next challenge? What's going to be different about this year? And I had never 
really wanted to do the single, if I'm honest. I think you get some people who are just made to be single scholars and well, it definitely. is a different mentality and it is a, oh yeah. And, and I, I, we always competed in sort of singles at trials, British trials. And I'd won, I'd won it quite a few times in the single. So I knew I could, you know, make a single go reasonably fast, but I'd never really seen the attraction of competing in it internationally. I just, I kind of love being a crew. I love being with other people. I love camaraderie. I love that. I thought, I don't know. I don't know if the single really is for me. And I wasn't sure really what the characteristics of a really good single scholar would be. Because um, sometimes they all just seem a bit crazy. But uh, I thought, well, you know, I can be crazy too. Let's try this. And I was still thinking about it. And um, one of the coaches actually, actually Jürgen, the men's coach, had said, you know, why don't you take on, why don't you do something like the single and let, almost let the other, the other people in the team move on to where they need to go to. And you just take a bit of time to yourself and do your own thing and then, then decide. Um, and one of the girls in the team had also, you know, at trials and I won it and said, you've got to do it. Why wouldn't you do it? You know, to her, it was like, that's the ultimate, go and do the single. So I did not feel sort of mentioning it thinking, Oh, really? And then I thought, okay, maybe I'll give it a go. Um, so I took it on and I did, I found it really different. Re- I mean, crazily different considering if you're, you know, if you're not from the rowing world, it's all it is is the same, same thing, just in a different boat. Why, how can it be that different? But to me, it really felt quite different racing the single. And I found, um, I think you find out a lot about yourself and all these things, but in the single, I found a lot that I didn't expect. I thought I'd know myself quite well by then. But I found what was hard was, especially in racing, because I love racing. And I thought I'd find the training really hard and really quite dull on my own. And the racing, the great bit. And it was almost the other way around. And I actually found training really enjoyable. I found it amazing to really test my technique. And I worked very well with my coach and really made big inroads into the single. But then when it came to racing, I really missed having other people. I really missed. You know, the team talk, that moment you're looking each other in your eye before you pick up the boat and head to the water. Quite weird being on your own, <laughs> going right then, right, cast and off we go. And in a race, I've kind of found that I dig the deepest when I feel I've got responsibility for somebody else. Because mm. actually, if you're on your own and it's getting hard and getting painful, it's really just you. There's no one else keeping you honest. Yeah. Exactly. And I, and I feel a huge, I like feeling this duty to, to other people I compete with. And on your own, you're like, mm, gosh, it's me then. Um, but through this season, I, I just, I just enjoyed it more. I found it hard. I found it hard. And I, I did do well in the first World Cup, but then I had a you know, couple of World Cups where I was, wasn't as good. And gosh, it's, it's lonely and it's hard on your own. And I was. There was brilliant single scholars I was up against in that in that competition. And like I said, there's some people who really own those events, those single sculling events. There's some brilliant, brilliant athletes who are just phenomenal. And Katrina Carsten was kind of one of the all time greats. And she was, you know, she was coming to the end of her sort of single sculling career in these last few years. And she's still the kind of like we're saying, you know, you want to take on the best, and she was going to be the best. And I kind of I remember getting to the final. And um, again, Jürgen, the, the men's coach, came up to me in the, the, at the hotel and just saying, you've made the final, Catherine. You've proved everything to yourself you ever need to. You know, you're kind of, you've obviously moved on from Beijing. You're now one of the top singles scholars in the world. Um, 
in a way, when you go into that final, there's nothing left to prove. You've got nothing to lose. Every every place you go higher is a win for you. You know, six is awesome. If you come fifth, even better. You know, that kind of. So I I, I felt really free going into that final. I felt absolutely no expectation, no pressure. And I think the leading up to Beijing had felt more and more pressure, more expectation leading up to that that single world title was like no pressure at all. No one expects me to deliver a result on a single skull. Uh, so I just got into the race and I remember just actually just really loving the final and it was you know it was going better than I thought and then the the weather came in we're battered around by the wind and the waves and, and I'm, I wasn't that experienced at that level and single so you know it's just you're fighting yourself you're fighting other people you're fighting the conditions and I just loved it and and yeah the silver medal there was you know back to being absolutely over the moon with the silver you know the, the podium finish for a single skull was was a real achievement for me and it gave me back uh i suppose a confidence it gave me back a sense of fun it gave me back just uh kind of the, the sort of feeling of anything's possible again and i sort of needed to recapture that i needed to refresh that after the beijing experience and it kind of set me back on on a kind of the right path of yeah i love this sport i love what's possible in it and i love I love the potential and, and off we go. Um, but I never felt I loved it so much. I would then stay in a single skull forever. I just thought, I'm, lo- I'm so glad I did it. And I still have so much respect for real single skullers. Really, I do. I, I'm in awe of them. Um, but for me, I think my ultimate test, my ultimate enjoyment was always how can I get some, you know, how, how do I get something out of my teammates and how do they get something out of me? And and that I felt was missing for the single. I kind of missed that. You don't get to find out how good you are with other people. And to me, rowing has always been with other people. So I was kind of, ah, that single skull sort of saved me in a lot of ways, certainly mentally. But I was really excited about going back into crew boats after that. Yeah, um, sorry, I know know Lawrence is good, but I I just wanted to quickly mention something. It's it's quite, it's it's quite, um, when I looked at the results and I saw the 2009 single skull, you know, it, it almost felt like that was, very much like the pivotal part of like almost a hero's journey like you see a lot of movies like a lot of, i mean for example like luke skywalker in star wars uh-huh. he goes to yoda he gets a special training and he comes back and he's like yeah i'm gonna smash everyone for me when i saw that obviously 2008 being a, a low for you and then going 2009 that kind of felt like that was the the last tool in the toolkit that you needed to put yourself on the journey that you were going to take you to london yeah, it's a good point, and it, it it did feel you know a lot of people will look at Beijing because it was probably the lowest point, um, and thinking that's what kind of spurred you on. But I think you're right. I think they missed the step. Well, there is something after that. There's something after that that has to you know you have to go and either retrain or rethink or you know mentally restart to then put you back on the right quest. And and I think you're right. 2009 was kind of a, an absolutely crucial year. Um, of just moving me from where I was to where I need to be. So, yeah. so I'll I'll carry on there. So you you decided that you 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 enjoyed the single, but you needed the team to 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 push you on that little bit extra. So 2010, you decide over the three World Cups and World Champs to just race as basically as many races as you as you can. So you you double up into the double and the quad to really get the the full teammate experience. And over the, the four regattas, you, you race uh, seven events and, uh, and all of them on the podium 
all of them except one gold. So it must have been just such an awesome year to to then kind of you've you've made that that progress in the single. You've kind of found your resolve and you you get back into these into the crew boats and and you really knock the lights out for that season. Oh, yeah, you're right, guys. Uh, 2010 is absolutely one of my favorite years. It just and again, it sort of sits, you know, these years that sometimes sit in the middle of the, the Olympiad kind of very easily skipped over or, you know, oh, that was not a year it went well. Um, I mean, 2010, so I'd learned so much in 2009 and I was just ready, I was ready to go again. And I got in the most incredible uh, double with Anna Watkins um, in 2010. Um, but we did, we got the opportunity to double up into a, an absolutely brilliant quad. Uh, with Annie and Beth, these two other great girls, and and we sort of, um, yeah, ran this sort of through the World Cup. This, you know, often with very short gaps between one final to the next final, between the double and the quad. And again, it was a sense of um, kind of finding out what's possible, and you know, nothing to lose. This is this is great, and. The double was going really well and had from the very first moment we ever sat in it together in the first training session, which I still remember. Um, the double was was one of those boats that was just a gift. It was it was fast, it was simple, it was easy, it was incredibly cohesive. Uh, we just always had fun doing it, Anna and myself. And the quad brought on a, a different challenge. Obviously, it's a different skill, it's a different speed, it's a different style. Um, but it was an incredible you know again a new challenge of swapping from one to the next and sort of also from the that focus and intensity we said we had in the small boat with Anna and myself and then and then suddenly splitting it into a bigger boat and learning a slightly different dynamic with different people and but it was equally as ambitious it never felt you know one boat had priority over the other or one mattered more it was kind of like this dual dual event through those world cups and and they were both incredibly competitive boats. And I think there was this, it was just, I mean, my memory was exhausting, but my memories of just how much fun it was and how much fun just to keep, you know, race after race after race, keep bringing it and bringing a new challenge. And I, I that season was absolutely extraordinary for just, again, just the thrill of competition. And we don't race enough, I think. We just don't race enough. Mm-hmm. When you get those chances, it was, it was absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's it's really awesome to to see those kind of those results and 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 the doubling up always is so interesting to me. Like it's uh and and on the women's side, the women seem to to double up a lot yeah, more more the often. But what I want to ask is, you know, so your first two Olympic cycles, it's it's like periodically getting it right and and nailing the race, and then the from two thousand and eight or two thousand five, just constantly batting it out at the front of the field. So how was your, like, the mental shift in the in the racing between those kind of eras? And, and you know, what what changed when you when you kind of start ex- expecting to always be on the podium? And then how does that affect your, like, your prep going into a race and, and on the start line? Like, what are you, what are you thinking when it's, when you're kind of so used to, to winning? How do you make sure that you, you're always producing your absolute best to, to still keep the, the pressure on yourself? Yeah, I found I found that bit easy, easier than I than you might expect. Just in that, I don't think I've ever met someone who's kind of you know a bit bored of winning. You know, <laughs> no, you, can, you know each each win fuels the next one, and 
there becomes a real pride in in delivery of of the best race all the time. And you know, on the start line, I mean, I think that the real skill is not not feeling it becoming too overwhelming, or or if you get if you get afraid of taking risks, you know, I think that the you know the danger you become is when people start saying how many races you've won, for example. You don't want to get into a position where you start protecting that and thinking, you know, you know, you know, what if this is the one that doesn't go well, or what if this is the one we lose, or I don't want to do this because we're not quite hundred percent, or we don't want to try a new tactic or something because if we get it wrong, it'll mean we'll lose. So I think, I, you know, I think they're the, the almost the hardest bit is trying to still feel that um, you can take risks and you can can try different things and and the most the most wonderful thing I think in getting to a position where you are, you expect yourself to win is in a race. If you're not in a winning position, you find a way to win. Cause until you start winning and expecting to win, if you're not in a winning position, in a race, you don't assume that you should win. You know, you kind of, you deal with the position you're in and you're trying to make the most of it. If you, if you're used to winning and expect to win, when you find yourself not winning, you are just into problem solving, but how do you win? You know, it's this kind of almost flip to, you should be winning, so how are you going to win? And you can almost dig yourself out of any hole. And it's a fabulous place to be. And I've, I I, didn't think until I got into that, that very lovely place that it's just always then about, well, we need to, you know, you need to find a way to win it. Now, whether that means change our technique or change our length or change our rhythm or change our speed, whatever it is, you need to find a way to make sure you win this. And that's quite a different. You can't sort of switch it on or off. You just, after winning, you get that becomes your mentality. Sure. Well, that's, well, now we need to find a way to win this race. That's so awesome. That's such a, a good answer. Mm. That was amazing. Sweet, guys. That is a wrap for Dame Kath Granger Part One. I'm sure you guys really got into that, really got in, enjoying that, and, and, and really upset that we've cut this one into two parts because. Uh, you know, you can uh, get into it and, and really uh, just listen to the whole thing in one go. So, um, but we'll bring out uh, part two really short, uh, really shortly, and I'm sure you will be be right on there and ready for that to come out. And if you want it to come out a little bit earlier, if you want these episodes a little bit before and not have to wait for them for so long, head on over to our Patreon. That's where you can get early access and you get access to our uh, WhatsApp group where we have great discussions about upcoming in- interviews and upcoming uh, and past uh, interviews, past episodes where we're going to really get into it. And especially when racing starts to to kick off for the, the 2021 season, there's going to be a lot of discussions on there and I'm sure a lot of uh, banter about uh, results because we're getting uh, our Patreons from all over the world. So everyone has their own uh athletes that they support and their own ideas about uh, who's good and, and who's not. So it's it's a really interesting platform and I think it's uh, got a lot of scope to grow. So head on over there if you want to hear anything else. Uh, and other than that, Jake, what do you take away from that episode? Yeah, I just think, um, you know, just the, the adaptability, being able to work with different people, I think is, is, is one of Catherine's strengths and in, in when she you separates herself from a lot of the other athletes out there. And just, you know, the... The ability to stay on target, stay on the goal. Like that's that's something that sounds really simple to a lot of people. It's like, okay, here's the goal, stay on it. But, you know, when you break that down and you go get, you know, manage that at a more micro level, that becomes incredibly difficult to stay focused like that. And I think she is a great uh, person to demonstrate the ability to do exactly that. 
Yeah, and something we didn't mention in the in the intro was that she's she won. She was part of those crews that won the, the the crew that won the first Olympic medal for British women's rowing, and then carried on to like just become the the powerhouse that uh, British women's rowing has become. You know, uh, as she said, you know they win the first gold medal, uh, and then the next Olympic Games, all the women's crews win medals. So it's uh, it was a really really crazy journey, and like you know she was the young buck, but got those results straight out the blocks, and then could build through and and her transition to the old experienced athlete was maybe a little bit slower because there were a lot of uh, good women around, but, you know, really interesting to see that progression and how then she became, you know, the top dog and the, and the, and the one with all their experience and the knowledge to, to take the, the young, uh, the young bucks on. Yeah, definitely. And of course, guys go, you can get in contact with us, go follow us on our social media channels. It's always a big help. And until next time, we'll see you shortly. Jake's out. Sweet, guys. That's it for us. We're out. Ciao. So I'm interested to listen to... Yeah, so, you know, I'm interested. It was really interesting because, like, interesting to see. It was really interesting because I'm interested to hear looking back. It was very interesting for you guys. And I'm interested to listen to. I, I find that a lot of the times it's really interesting and you get, obviously, it's a difficult result. And I'm interested to hear about uh, your feelings on that space.